Hey, this is Josh's friend Guy Miley Karain, and you're listening to Season 1 of My Old Hands. I'm here with drummer, comedic actor, live event MC, and professional voiceover artist, which will become self-evident in about five seconds from now, Temba Robin from <laughs> South Africa. Welcome, Temba. How's it, Josh? How are you doing? I'm going great. And just straight off the bat, this show is about creativity. And yeah, one of the things this show mostly focuses on is dealing with those moments of creative block. And I've heard mm. Temba mention this a few times before, and- there's no real elegant way to bring this up, but Tembi, you've mentioned before, I've heard you say that you have some power problems and we just experienced yeah. a little bit of a creative block just right before this call. <laughs> What's it? I don't really know how to ask this question without sounding like, oh, the power went out. That's a bit silly because we all live in different parts of the world and the power grids are different and it's should be, yeah, it should just be known to people that some places it's less stable than others. How do you have such a thriving creative career when you're dealing with an essential element being kind of dicey? <laughs> so, so funny enough, at the moment, it's it's almost like clockwork. So we have a couple of hours of every day where where the power grid is down for repairs, and I mean this is this is after decades of neglect. So they've got they've got a long road ahead of them. Um, but if you go online and you you type in load shedding into the internet, you'll find out that South Africa's out of power for most most of most of every day. But from a creativity point of view, it's it does take. It takes a lot of work that you could be doing away from you, which is a good and bad thing, I think. So there's there's a lot of meetings you can't have. There's a lot of admin you can't do, which, you know, sometimes you've got a good excuse to sit down and play your guitar and write some new lyrics. And in my in my case, a lot of the content that I create is humor based. And so sort of everything to do with not having power gives me lyrics to write comedic songs or or short skits. You know, that sort of thing. So it, it almost, we're making the best out of a bad situation by, by laughing at ourselves, you know. So that's really great. Temba, are you always <laughs> so positive about it? Are there ever just moments where you're just like, not again? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, there's, there's moments where I need to go shoot something and I've, I've managed to be out of the house between two what we call load shedding gaps. So say I leave the house in the morning and the power's off. And then while I'm out, it's on for two hours. And then when I get home, I get there and it's off and I can't charge any of my equipment. And then that's really frustrating. And that's not a laughable matter. <laughs> but, um, you know, you got to, you kind of just, you're forced to plan to plan really, really well. And uh, luckily we live in, we live in modern times. So we've got devices that, that last really long. I've, I've got this new uh, MacBook M1 and it, it seems to have a battery life forever. So that's, that's a lifesaver. And my microphones and everything run off the USB-C setup. So it's, 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 life's convenient despite its difficulties. Yeah, that's super positive. And one thing you mentioned in there, Timber, is that you mostly do comedic-oriented content other than your voiceover work, yeah. which we'll, we'll talk to. So what I was going to ask first today, mate, is do you feel like you've always been funny? And I've been watching a lot of your stuff online, and it really is very funny <laughs> and very clever. And the reason I ask that is people are hearing you now, and they're yeah. probably thinking, 
well, this guy can't have been anything but a professional voiceover or a radio talent. He sounds made for it. But I'm thinking yeah. you weren't running around at eight, nine, ten years old with the voice you have now. Otherwise, that would have been re- no, no. that would have been pretty weird for people. And Definitely. Yeah. Okay, this guy's got this great huge voice and he's two foot tall. That would be strange. Uh, when, when did you get your first laugh? Do you remember? So I think from from a storytelling perspective, I've I've always I've always enjoyed making people laugh, whether it's a story, whether it's a bit of a jig and a dance, almost almost born to be the jester, if if I could say it like that. I never I never saw it as a sort of career path until maybe I got to my teens where I saw other people becoming comedians. So I mean obviously coming from South Africa, we've got the likes of Trevor Noah who's who's an international star now so there i realized but i and i mean i've only actually done stand-up now this year um i'm a bit of a scaredy cat in that in that sense so i enjoy i enjoy telling stories and i enjoy making people laugh but I'm, i've always been quite scared to take the take the plunge into into stand-up comedy but uh, i mean essentially i've always known that's what i've, I've wanted to do and uh you know a bit of class a bit of the class clown yeah, at school coming up <laughs> And yeah, just a bit of a bit of quick wit. And my, my father's got a fantastic sense of humor also. So we, you know, growing up, we bonded over that sort of arbitrary offbeat, just being the weird guys, you know. Were you trading jokes with him or was he always funnier than you and reminded you about that? Like most funny fathers do, like mine. He was always telling me I was not as funny as him. So were you guys, was that where you reckon, did you get like a comedy education from having such a funny family? Yeah, I think I think it's actually now that I now that I'm thinking about it out loud, my dad sort of instilled this this off what what he found was funny or what he found funny was sort of odd odd comedy. And so we grew up watching sort of odd comedy and um, a lot of British comedy also that sort of plays a large role in sort of the way I think about stuff and then uh, I've got two younger brothers and I think between the three of us we've we've sort of um taken that grassroots from my dad and and developed it into our own flavor of comedy so to speak so we we sometimes my my brothers live in edinburgh at the moment and sometimes we can call up and just have have a hysterical conversation about scenarios that just would never happen you know um almost as if you know south africa we've got a big thing with striking we we love striking in in south africa for anything if you want something done everybody heads to the streets burns a tire and to to try and get hurt and you know just a scenario if that happened to happen in the uk how how funny it would be because you've got to get permits for all that sort of thing and here it's just a bit of a wild west so uh, you know, little scenarios like that that most people probably would never even think about. We find hysterical, and we could we could plot those out for hours. <laughs> so, have you got permission from your brothers to use that stuff in your work, <laughs> or are they also doing some comedic work? And you've got to you've got to arm wrestle them to see who owned the idea. No, no. Luckily, my, my my one brother he's quite an introvert, so he probably won't get on stage too soon. And the other one's very business minded, so he's he's stuck in his his Excel Excel spreadsheets and that sort of thing. So, okay. um, luckily, I, I've got free reign to be the comedian of the family. That's great. You all beat the eggs, and you get to cook them. That sounds good to me. So there we go. That's it. <laughs> so it's interesting. You brought up your family twice there, and. One thing I wanted to talk to you about today was you've mentioned in interviews and different things that I've seen and heard before Mm. that you grew up in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Can you describe what you mean when you say that it's a rural 
area because that can mean many different things to people around the world. And it also, yeah. for a creative, it might elicit different thoughts from different people. If you've grown up in New York City or London or Melbourne, Australia, yeah. you might think, well, how much creativity can a rural place really have? So can you just tell us what it was like growing up there, but maybe also what was happening there in the arts and culture side of things? Hey, Legends, super quick. If you're wondering where you can find any of the things that are mentioned in today's episode, head on over to myoldhands.com and you'll find it all there. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. So can you just tell us what it was like growing up there, but maybe also what was happening there in the arts and culture side of things? Yeah, so I think South Africa in general is very rich in in arts and culture. You know, historically we've got we've got a quite a crazy story to tell, and uh, having all the different nationalities in the sort of melting pot gives us a lot to work with in terms of the stories that we can tell and and that sort of thing. So, growing up in the Eastern Cape, it's it's an interesting one because the the Eastern Cape from uh, arts, culture, and sports perspective actually supplies some of South Africa's best in in those uh, respective uh, areas so it's it's a very rich place to come from from an arts and culture and sports perspective but it's also uh, when i say it's it's quite rural in that the biggest city being port elizabeth in the eastern cape it's right on the coast but you you seldom see like skyscrapers there aren't skyscrapers there's on the beachfront there's a building that's maybe 20 floors high and that's because it's a Radisson hotel. Everything around it is about two or three stories. There's not a heck of a lot to do. There's only ever like two clubs, you know, everybody has fun outdoors, goes to the beach, that sort of thing. You, if you're visiting mates, it's not more than a 10 kilometer drive, you know, across town sort of thing, which was a big change for me when I moved to the big city. You know, somebody says to you, oh, no, I live over here. And then you, you look at it on Google Maps and you say, but that's 20 k's away. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming to visit you. That's, that's an eternity. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and now we, we drive 35 k's without even, without even, you know, batting an eyelid. So yeah, when I say it's, it's, it's rural, there's no big chains. I mean, we only, I think, I, I think there's two McDonald's's in, in the whole town, in the whole city. Okay, maybe three now that I start counting, but they've all popped up recently kind of thing. So no huge chains. If the, I mean, we got a Starbucks a couple of years ago. That was a big thing. Everyone knew about the Starbucks, you know, that sort of <laughs> mentality. <laughs> and um, from an economic standpoint, everybody pays you, everybody likes to pay you in favors. Um, okay. Favors and, and exposure. That seems to be the currency there, as opposed to the bigger city where people actually pay you in hard cash, okay. which, is, which is what we all need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So getting paid in favours, depending on your background, may mean many different things, Timber. So can we <laughs> uh, it could be anything from a trip to Thailand to God knows what else. So it could Yeah. yeah so what does that mean on the like when you're day to day and you yeah. say that? Like what sort of conversations does that lead to if you can actually share? Because I'm super fascinated by yeah. that phrase. It sounds like the log line of a mafia movie. So yeah. 
<laughs> we'll pay you in favors. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the most obvious and maybe acceptable example I could use is uh, when, when we were a little bit younger, obviously growing up uh, in Port Elizabeth, and we played in a little three-piece band called Written in Scarlet. And, you know, the guys would always barter with us. Uh, they'd say, okay, well, we'll give you, we'll pay you X amount, and then we'll give you a bar tab, and we'll throw in a meal. And that's, you know, that's actually quite a good deal when you're in your early 20s because you get a free meal and you were going to spend your, your, your money on a few bezers in any case. So, you know, you get, you get a few beers, you get a chow, and then you get to go home with, you know, a couple of hundred bucks in your pocket, which is not a bad evening out. But then you sort of get a little bit older and you go, well, I'm, I'm trying not to drink that much. And I ate just before I got here. So now I've got this ridiculous bar tab that I now have to spend to make, you know, make it worth my while. And you can go and back to chat to the guys and say, well, listen, how's about you just give me all the cash? And then that's, that's when things get sticky and they go, oh, you know, that doesn't really work for us. And you have to have some hard negotiation skills. They're thinking that beer is $5, but that only costs us $2. And that meal that's $20 only actually costs us 10. So we're making back potentially $100 between these three guys in actual cash. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, how successful were you? And were you the guy doing it or did you have a really good, was your business-minded brother maybe the person that was doing it if it was the guys in the family that were in the band? Yeah, so luckily, luckily the band was uh, was external to the family because my brothers my, my brothers aren't musically uh, inclined, and so I, I get to own that also, which is fantastic. Excellent, two um, things. But, <laughs> but we had yeah, we had a band a band lead. I was I was the percussionist though, so I pretty much just hung out. I just rocked up, hung out at the back, kept the tempo, and buggered off. You know, <laughs> that was <laughs> that's the life of the drummer. You you know, there's no great shakes. Nobody nobody cares too much about you until you get like a little solo. But yeah, so I never did any of the negotiating. I just rocked up, got my my cash, got my beer money, had a sandwich and uh, potted on. (laughs) Excellent. So I've heard you also say that you kind of knew growing up and through the first part of all of the artistic things you were doing that it was going to take a long time to build a creative career. And you seem to me to be a very positive person. Everything I've ever experienced of yours has this positivity in it. Are you yeah. always so positive about how long it's taken? So, so I'll, I'll be I'll be honest in the sense that I think it's something that I I've always wanted to be an entertainer. I didn't know how I was going to make it work. I didn't know what steps I was going to take. And sort of t- towards my mid to late twenties, I kind of went through a bit of a, a rough patch, not really knowing where I was headed with life, and you know, darting from job to job, and you know, finding out that the conventional nine to five just it doesn't work in con- conjunction with the entertainer's life and lifestyle. So, and in my mind, growing up in a small city, it wasn't feasible to go, okay, well, then I'm going to pursue entertainment full time. So I ended up doing jobs, which was a little bit soul crushing because, you know, there you are doing doing something that you don't really, you're not feeling passionate about or anything like that. And then when I moved to uh, the big city, uh, the Johannesburg, uh, you know, I got to rub shoulders with some people, but from there, it still took another three years before anything actually actually happened. And in the meantime, I was a handyman. So I would go around Johannesburg painting doors and, uh, well, hanging doors, painting walls, 
replacing tiles, uh, that sort of thing. And in the meantime, sort of trying to build up a voiceover career. And in the beginning, it was, it was really difficult. My first year doing voiceover, I think I did two jobs the entire year. And in the second year, I, I managed to save up enough money for a, a pay to play subscription. And then from there, things started, you know, picking up. And, and now the, the local guys, cause I did a lot of overseas work. And now the local guys have sort of picked, picked up on that. So it's, there were, there were, yeah, there were really some, some rough times. I used to find myself scraping paint out of somebody's bathtub because one of my guys didn't put a drop sheet in the bath. So sprinkles of white oh. paint now feel like sandpaper and find myself squatting in someone's bath cleaning, cleaning this up going, what is my life becoming? <laughs> you know, and so you, you have those days, you go home, you just go, this is this is terrible this is this really sucks um uh, but to be on the other side of the the storm now so to speak you know now i feel almost motivated than ever because I, I know where i've been and it's also it's, it's great it's great material to now look back on now now that i'm far away enough uh that the tears <laughs> the tears don't feel so real anymore that yeah, they've dried up so <laughs> I, it's exactly. so funny you just described in a different industry obviously timber the exact yeah. the exact day I had yesterday, I was the no I was the only reasonably technical person that was rostered on at my job yesterday, and yeah. I just had issue <laughs> after issue of fixing things that normally there would have been two or three people there that could have handled customer inquiries. I just had one yeah. after the other, and I thought to myself, "I'm doing this, what? but tomorrow morning at six a.m." I'm talking to this guy that I think is going to be awesome, but yeah. and then I've got another call today at nine o'clock for a different project, and it felt so far away because I was trapped in that moment of hating my job. And this morning, yeah. I look around at this fancy gear that I've managed to accumulate in this room that I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to cover the rent. And if I didn't have yeah. that job that sometimes stresses me out, I wouldn't have all these tools in this room and a certain level of comfort to be able to sit here for an hour and just talk to you. So you could get trapped in those moments too, I think. It's not just, oh, I hate my job, I want to be a comedian or I want to be a voiceover artist or whatever. It's also sometimes later you can look back and think, well, if I didn't have that then, there would have been so much financial pressure on this, it may never have happened. Because you said yeah. two jobs in the first year. Like unless yeah. you were- doing, you know, some nature documentary and you were Morgan Freeman, two jobs isn't going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And I think I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand about the creative space. And I, I mean, I've been, I've been one of those people where you hear a story about someone who got discovered at the mall. That they were just walking through the mall and then some some person spotted them and said, here's, here's a lifetime contract and you can act forever and you'll be a millionaire. And, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that there's maybe one or two stories like that that have happened. But I think for a lot of the time, you know, people have been spotted doing what they've been doing, doing what they love. And that's where the opportunities turned into something fruitful is because they were already doing the thing that they love to do. And they happened to be at the right place at the right time. And therefore, it, it turned into something great. But it's, it's certainly not a case that, uh, you know, the likes of you or I sat around at our day jobs, you know, wishing that we could become podcasters or voiceover artists or something. And then one day someone said, here's a bunch of equipment, 
and uh, some free time. Here we go. You know, you, we've we've had to make all of that happen ourselves, and so it's it's definitely a point of pride. Um, you know, very proud of what I've been able to achieve. And and often when people say, "Wow, you're so lucky," oh, gosh. you're so lucky. And I I think to myself, man, if you could only have been sitting next to me in that bathtub that day. <laughs> You would you would see how unlucky, uh, how many unlucky events have had to take place to to be in this lucky space. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And one thing I think we brought up earlier, Timber. I don't know if it was on the call or before. Was Trevor Noah and yeah, people in the US and in Australia because we I guess he was channeled to us from the US, so we weren't that familiar with him as a comedic talent before he got. Famous, for the lack of a better term. Yeah. You only need to read his book to know that he seems like the luckiest guy in the world. He's movie mm. star good looking. He can do a thousand voices. He has 50 talents. He's hilarious. He is confident. All of these things that could be seen as just gifts that was bestowed upon him. If you read yeah. his book, that's just the end of a pretty nasty, pretty nasty chain of events that his life had been at different times. And- it was really, in some ways, I see it as his reward for going through, well, for the lack of a better term, hell yeah. for a long time. <laughs> like it wasn't, yeah. he wasn't just born that way, and he just lived this miraculous life, and then he was famous at some point. Yeah, yeah, it was almost a reaction. A lot of his things. Well, that's how I read it. That he had to enclose himself in a creative bubble and live in his own head a little bit. And I'm not sure how you guys view him in South Africa. Obviously, you probably got a much more clear understanding of someone like that being from the same country but yeah i think i think the funny thing is south africans are, are horribly fickle in the sense that we love someone uh, and we love to watch them get successful uh, to a point and then everybody just hates them. <laughs> well <laughs> we're pretty sorry. similar here in australia maybe it's because we're both cr- <laughs> we're both cricket loving countries maybe <laughs> This is it. Well, I think I think it's it stems from cricket. I blame cricket. Yeah, cricket. Well, for I blame cr- cricket for everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we we're like that. But um, yeah, I think definitely the, the there's a lot of there's a, a lot a lot of hardships and strange things uh, growing up in South Africa because of all the all the cultures. And I don't I don't mean to say that it's it's any harder than living anywhere else. I'm sure there's there's harder places to live, but uh, it it does give you. Uh, almost a, a neo from the matrix moment where you've got the red or blue pill and that's almost your attitude is to say you know do you take the red pill which is a good attitude and blue pill which is a bad attitude because the scenarios are all the same everyone's faced with the same tasks but you you can choose what what you're going to do with it and and he he chose to put a positive spin on things and and look for the funny and yeah i think i think it's a similar it's a similar sort of mo that uh, that I'm trying to adopt. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. That's nice. So we might go into this this MO of yours because, as I said in the intro, I've been laughing a lot at all your stuff and (laughs) I wanted to really just maybe break down one of your creations that I thought was super funny. So your reels game is pretty strong and the fact that I even used that phrase, I've probably dated dated this podcast, but 
That's how, that's what the kids <laughs> say. So for people that do great reels on TikTok or Instagram, yours are amazing. Firstly, what <laughs> Thanks, what man. what drives you to write and perform and edit these short short clips that I know from just making really simple versions of something similar, nowhere near as good, mind you. That it takes a mountain of work, and the jokes have to be good, or no one's going to care that you made it. And mm. how do you also, as someone that has videos with as little as a few hundred views, and as much as three quarters of a million views, or maybe more? I haven't <laughs> checked your Instagram. I've only checked the TikTok. How does that make you feel, yeah. moment to moment? You're like, why did that hit, and why didn't? Yeah. Why didn't that hit? Am I just an algorithm victim here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I think the. The thing with the with the TikTok videos, I I never thought I was gonna do TikTok. To be honest with you, I, I thought it was something for the kids, you know. Mm. And so I sort of stayed clear of it. And then somebody invited me to do a voiceover challenge on TikTok. So I had to join TikTok, and then I did this voiceover challenge. Or maybe it was the Willerman. I think there was the Willerman the yeah. Willerman song that was going around uh, a year or two ago, and that was quite big. So I I decided oh, I'll I'll rewrite that, and then I popped it on on TikTok, and then that sort of got some traction. And then someone wanted me to do a voiceover challenge, so I was like, oh okay, I can I can do that. So the first two videos, I kind of I didn't I didn't think about them, and I just sort of hopped on the platform just to do these two videos, you know, and then I sort of saw what what the world out there is like on TikTok kind of thing. And so I thought, okay, let me, let me try a couple more of these. But my big thing with social media is I am, so I've got a, a, a 18 month old son. I, I create content for other companies. I do my own voiceovers and I, you know, I go out of studio. So I've got, a, I've got a lot on my plate and I find that, you know, a lot of the guys who are super successful are guys who are able to post every day. And I don't, I don't want to post every day because I'd, I'd like to share an idea when I think of a funny idea. And the problem with that is when your life is really busy, you could go two weeks without posting. So that's, that's a bit sucky. And then I'm sort of forced to rack my brain with what, what would work? You know, what's, what's going to be a good thing to get a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand views. And I, I get a bit nervous when I catch myself thinking about that, because I, I shouldn't be creating content for the amount of views. If I have six people out of the, uh, you know, out there in the world that a video makes a day. And I mean, I think one of the best comments I ever read is somebody just saying, thank you for making this video. It, it, it made my day. Mm. You know, I, if that was the only person who watched it, I feel like I've done, I've done a cool thing. And, you know, to, to sort of answer your question about the, <laughs> <laughs> the deficit between getting 200 views on something it can hurt sometimes because there's there's some ideas that I've really worked on and I've <laughs> I've I've crafted them yeah. and I've put them up and they've absolutely tanked you know that you, you get 600 views over like 3 days and I'm going why <laughs> um and then there's there's some things that I think of in the spur of the moment in a parking lot and I just you know turn on my camera and it gets 100,000 views and people are remixing it and sending it around and I'm like I, I I just don't get it so I think one of the lessons there is to just just naturally don't overthink it just just do when you get the impulse I, if I think of a funny idea, I try and film it as soon as possible because if I overthink it, then I overthink the jokes and overcook it, so to speak. But I think the big thing at the end of the day is my self-worth isn't related to my any of my social media accounts. If I make a video and it tanks, eh, so be it. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it is. <laughs> 
if it if it does really well, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I do I do give myself a little pat on the back, and I do enjoy that feeling. But I, I I'm happy to turn my social media off at night and spend time with my family and friends who who I know really love me. Not to say that my fans don't, but yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, just just to say, try and stay grounded and and you know those those videos that tank they shouldn't bother you. Yeah, it's really interesting. You use the word deficit. And I wouldn't probably ever have thought of that kind of terminology, but it's spot on. The deficit between your best and worst creative output mm. might be 20%. But in this case, if you took a 500 view video and a 750,000 view video, you know, 15,000% deficit. Like I don't think you, or whatever that happens to be, sorry for the mathematicians out there, I'm doing this off the top of my head and it's probably way off, but it's if you got too focused on the the deficit, as you called it, timber in those numbers. Yeah, your worst video isn't fifteen thousand times worse or fifteen hundred times worse than your best one. It's just yeah. something caught and something didn't. But maybe there was a lesson in that video, or maybe you got a couple of comments on the little one, and you got a bunch of fire emojis and people trying to spam yeah. their latest song on the one with seven hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> and I think there's lessons to be learnt in. Everything And one thing yeah. I guess that I've learned in the last maybe 12 months is I've always been super critical of myself because I'm not a particularly photogenic person. And that was why I kind of first moved into comedy on the internet via writing little audio sketches and little mini podcast episodes with sound effects and doing videos where I was commenting on something but my face wasn't in it. But just yeah. being... I won't say brave enough because I think that's the world's most overused word at the moment. I don't think just oh, yeah, turning a totally. camera on is true bravery, but we'll just use that term, Timber, for the lack of a better one. <laughs> just being brave enough to turn the camera around and focus it on myself has yeah. allowed people to get to know me and to know that, oh, that really dark stuff he just said, he doesn't mean that. He's actually, yeah, yeah he's just joking. And like that little step I learned from making some crappy videos and that made me brave enough at one point to get up on a stage. And now now people are forced to look at me in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of these days they'll pay to look oh, at you. Hopefully, this is, hopefully. This is the journey. <laughs> yeah. But just a quick one that you, you mentioned there is that uh, the sort of the difference between your best and worst – and I, I quite honestly, I think one of one of the videos that's tanked the hardest is one of the ones that I still think is probably one of my most hilarious pieces of work. So, you, you know, it's not even I, like I'm not even affected by how they perform because, like I say, the, the worst performing one to date, I think, is probably what I think is one. I, I'm most proud of that one <laughs> as an individual uh, piece of art. So it's a strange thing. Yeah, I, I posted a video that had, two people, an author and The Rock, and yeah. it went okay. I mean, for me, going okay is if it gets a 1,000 views, so I was pretty happy with that. But I thought that yeah. the comedic connection I'd made was absolute genius. But what I didn't realise <laughs> until I thought about it was, Josh, you read dozens of books a year, and yeah. one of them is in this obscure little genre where that person's a huge author. To the average person, they know The Rock. Yeah. He's the most famous person in the world. This author, not so famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. What do they say? You got to. You got to know your audience. You got to read the room. And and I think that's that's really one thing that I, I I find myself thinking about a lot of the time because I see some people do really ridiculous stuff. I mean, some real nonsense 
and and even I find myself laughing at it. So I mean, I can't even I can't even act like it's not funny, but it's re- it's real rubbish. And I laugh at it, and it gets a couple of million views, and I'm going, but that's that that wasn't difficult, <laughs> you know. They're not they're not smart like me, and and you know, not to compare yourself to anybody, but I'm going. I took time to cultivate jokes, and there's little Easter eggs everywhere, and. Sometimes, yeah, I don't know if it's what audiences want now. They just want, they want their, they want their laugh delivered quick, in the face, boom. Yeah. Whereas I think I've always, I've always tried to intertwine a whole lot of little laughs and then a big crescendo kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I think with the comedic content on the internet, particularly having a good joke or punchline or twist is only part of the recipe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot more to it. And for me, it was as simple as turning the camera around that juiced the views up a little bit that, oh, this is a real human saying yeah. that. Like, it, obviously, they're not through the roof, but I think that there's many ele- many elements to things that work on the net. And one video of yours that I think obviously really did work was the biggest video of yours I could find. And there's not always lessons to mm-hmm. learn from a big, the bestseller or the biggest thing because sometimes it was just timing. But you created this genius video about buying a stadium on on wish on wish.com and i thought yeah. where is this going cuz there's a lot of really creative stuff on tiktok uh, there's this beautiful british lady who makes these funny videos where she talks to different organs in her body and different they have they they have different <laughs> drives like sex drive and you know one has anxiety and one needs to go to the toilet she's absolutely brilliant and she's stunning yeah. obviously that helps like everything about her videos yeah, is it's perfect not too bad yeah, but I I could yeah. not pick where your video was going at all. And then you walk to the door and I know I'm – so you're on Wish.com, I should say. And what sort of stadium were you yeah. buying on there? Uh, yeah, football stadium. A football stadium, stadium yes. Um, so for yeah. people in the US, they're probably thinking, oh, that's a soccer field, guys. But Yeah, yeah, soccer field. Yeah, a soccer bad. field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to think globally now. Yeah, you do well. <laughs> Saying football is global, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> – you're buying this thing and then you walk to the door, but what you were actually buying was only a small row of plastic seats. <laughs> and then there's this song in the background, which is meant to be an epic sports stadium song. Did you play that on a, on a recorder or did you find that audio? <laughs> I, f- I, found that, I found that audio and it's one of those things I sort of, I go through my life collecting little bits of, of of nonsense media until the perfect moment to go right. This ah. is almost unboxing it like a, a treasure, you know. And I go, this is your time, my little terrible flute song <laughs> um, that I found two years ago. But but it it comes back to what we spoke about at the beginning. And you said South Africa's got all these hardships, and um, you know our, our government's constantly in trouble for losing. I mean, we lost five hundred billion rand over the COVID period. That was that was supposed to go to like relief, and we managed to lose it in like three months, and and to date, still nobody knows where it went. Yeah. So that that stadium joke was a stem off a piece that had just come out in the news, and we had spent a hundred and a hundred and seventeen million rand or something. I actually can't even remember the correct amount, but it was something ridiculous. Uh, one of the officials spent a hundred and seventeen million rand on a stadium, and when it was unveiled, and they did a whole unveiling, it was quite literally just some steel stands you know yeah. put together so i you know i thought to myself well what would a what would be a explanation for this you know if he had to sit down in interrogation i thought to myself well what if he bought them on wish you know but that's an 
an honest mistake to make. You saw a good picture and then Wish sends you something that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I've never personally bought from Wish, but I assume that's how uh, from the stories they, I've heard. They so. order stationery from Wish at my job sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, there's whole reams of paper that you sit the pen on and it dissolves. <laughs> like it's absolute, <laughs> absolute garbage. <laughs> So yeah, so we, we yeah, I just decided I'll, I'll capture that and and like I say, I mean, I thought of that on the spur of the moment. I slapped it together. There's no real artistic angle work or no proper you no know, editing and just thought you just slap it together. You put it out there. The time is right. People have a good laugh yeah. and you go, okay, cool. That's job well done. It is. It's <laughs> job well done. And what's and I'll finish up on this if that's okay, Tim. But what's particularly brilliant yeah. about that video is that I, I, as an Australian who was affected on one level, maybe in the same way by COVID, wasn't affected by our governments buying specifically a sports stadium. <laughs> and you're, you have a local audience within South Africa that would have found different things funny than a more global audience for the same video, but you didn't mm. make it obvious that, that there was anything news-related, political-related. It was just odd. There's people that are going to really get this, but the overall yeah. content also was super appealing because you matched this hilarious piece of audio, the music, with this hilarious idea. Yeah. And I'll I'll link up this video because I actually watched it again, I think, for about the fourth time this morning. And you know something, if you've worked, I mean, I'm a complete amateur comedian, but even if you train yourself a little bit, you can normally pick jokes mm. and- Particularly in yeah. short things where there's no big story that's rolling out. If it's just, oh, this is leading to there. And I still don't, my brain still doesn't compute what's about to happen. It's that good, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> it's always always nice to feel in the dark and then get, get the sort of conclusion. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, thank you so much for making today happen. For people that are listening, and this is something else. One thing I love is when I meet someone who is so creative, but they also have an appreciation for other people that they're trying to work with and they're professionals. So just some inside baseball here, guys. Timber actually <laughs> messaged me on iMessage, I think it was, and let me know why he was a few minutes late. And I was saying to Timber, I've done hundreds of interviews in the last 10 years and you're the only person, or Timber is the only person, <laughs> that has ever actually let me know what's going on. So I didn't have to sit there in a moment of panic. <laughs> And for everyone out there, if you're running late for your gig, if you know that you're going to be running behind or some piece of gears died, don't just leave people hanging because it could make it yeah. everything better if you just let people know what's going on. I would actually say that I never used to do that creatively. I would sit there and worry about, oh, if I ring this person at this venue <laughs> to say that, oh, one of the people in the band's sick, maybe find a replacement just in case and, you know, yeah. feel someone out. I would feel like, oh, we're never going to get a gig again. And- Mm. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that because I really appreciated it. No, not not at all, man. Um, I think yeah, it's just it's just the the polite thing to do. And and like I said, when when I got your email a couple of days ago, and yeah, it's 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 a big it's a it's a big honor. And I think you know to to chat to someone who's done as many podcasts as, as you have, and yeah, I just I enjoy I enjoy the the flow of conversation and stuff. So to to have someone of your stature reach out, uh, like I say, it's a, it's a privilege and I appreciate it also. Yeah. Other than being, you know, 
shy of six foot two and 110 kilos. I'm not sure what stature <laughs> you're referring to, but <laughs> I really appreciate the well, compliment. <laughs> I stand about 165, so we should take a photo one day. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Well, we'll have to come over yeah, there. Yeah, well, I could come to you. That sounds equally as exciting. I'd yeah. love to see that part of the world. It's kind of <laughs> always been a bit of a fascination for me. We'll we'll have to send you a, a power roster just so you, when you do come over here you're you're in the the good time zones when we have electricity. Okay, I just so you know, I mean, I'm from I'm from Australia here, Timber. I I I need to know when I'm going to have power because I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not coming otherwise. <laughs> right. Well, thank you Understood. so much, mate. I'll just let people know. Amazing. I like to do this for people so they don't have to talk about themselves if they don't want to. Uh, it's at Temba Robin on That's it. TikTok and at Temba yep. underscore Robin. Both of these will be linked up for people on Instagram. So, was there anywhere there else you wanted people to check out? Obviously, you do. Your main job day to day is voiceover, which I'll be talking to you yeah. about in the future. I'll definitely need some of your voice on other projects. So, where can people find you if they're thinking, oh, this guy's voice is incredible? Where can we throw yeah, some so money at him? You- <laughs> <laughs> right here on my uh, Patreon. No, just kidding. So you can pretty much if you Google Temba Robin, T-H-E-M-B-A-R-O-B-I-N on the internet, you should be able to find everything uh, from Facebook. Uh, I put up different content on my Facebook page um, than I do on my TikTok. And then uh, Voices.com, if anybody is familiar with that platform, you can go on there. You can see uh, reviews from people all around the world and see what projects I've I've done and worked on. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. Amazing.